Hello and welcome to Twin Peaks The Return, a Season 3 podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing Part 7 of the series. I'm Andy Hazel. I'm Hayley Inch, and I am absolutely so excited to introduce our guest for this week, Bismuth Hoban. Bismuth is a non-binary trans woman and a philosopher who burned out on academia. They spend their time writing stuff they never put forward for publishing. You totally should. Um, designing and running tabletop games and occasionally translating books and comics, and they are also a glorious trash bag. Thank you so much for joining us, Bismuth, and joining me in also my dumpster of trash. I'm enjoying this dumpster with you. It's a, it's a, one, it's a wonderful ride. It's yeah. so great. <laughs> Only getting more deeper and more exciting as the episodes go on. <laughs> um, so can I get your um, impressions so far of Twin Peaks The Return? Um, I'm absolutely adoring how slow Lynch is taking it. He's really asking for patience out of me and I'm more than willing to give it to him at this point because um, everything I've experienced so far in The Return has just been what I was hoping for the levels of complexity, the levels of emotion, it's its really hitting all the sweet spots for me as a viewer. So, yeah, I'm deep in the trash pile. <laughs> <laughs> and and you also have a, have a pretty long-standing relationship with the original series as well. Yeah, early 2010s, I think I first started watching, um, mm. shortly after watching Mulholland Drive, which was my first uh, David Lynch film. That was, <gasps> a, that was a wild ride. That's a pretty good entry point. I'm pretty sure my first one was Blue Velvet, and that was just a bit too much. That's a it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you want to hit us up with some background on yes. the way – let's, let's talk representation. This is a big thing that a lot of people aren't talking about. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that we, we've been trying very hard to, to canvas, but obviously Andy and I are two white people and, mm. you know, and generally cisgendered and that sort of thing. So there are things that we don't feel confident enough tackling ourselves and that's why we feel it is very good to have other people to come in and read us to rights. Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I know we talked about this a lot in preparation that mm. one of the things you were hoping to hold on for was my take on a lot of the Denise stuff that happened in earlier episodes. Absolutely. So, Definitely. Let's set the scene. All right. Denise. Oh my God, Denise. Um, <laughs> look, um, as someone who hadn't actually worked out their gender um, mm. the first time I watched Twin Peaks, Denise still rung really true for me. Like, I spent a lot of my mid-twenties, really involved with a lot of younger trans people, helping them through working out what they'd gone through, and only several years later realising the reason for that is, oh, I'm a trans. Oh, okay. Um, These things do tend to come and bite us, you know, Um, long after the fact. (laughs) Yes. Um, Which I think actually think is a really important point because there's been a lot of good criticism about how Denise's path of working herself out was cross-dressing for a job and then realising, oh, I really like this oh, I, li- I like being a girl. And that's not really the more common narrative. Like, most trans women have some sense of it quite early on in life, whether that's something they suppress or bury or something they embrace early on. There's, there's usually something going on there. Personally, I get a lot of fulfillment out of that Denise had to have something happen to her to make her go, oh, all these pieces just lined up. Mm. I'm mm-hmm. trans. Holy shit. But I also know it's not a particularly useful narrative when we're playing with the men in dresses stereotype mm-hmm. so much. And personally, I'm happy if my version of the story doesn't get as much airtime if we're focusing more on what it is about being trans that's really important to represent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to balance. Um, mm-hmm. But getting to see, um, especially rewatching after working out gender stuff, 
getting to see Denise be a really capable person whose presence in the story is about her as a friend of Cooper. Mm. It's not about her as a transgender spectacle. No. Mm. Like, it's just, it's sensitive, it's well-written, mm. and she's amazing. Like, it's, it's so unusual to see that in the 90s especially, because the 90s was where that weird obsession with trans women oh, really yeah. reached through the pitch. You've got, you know... Like, the, like Soap Dish and the first Ace Ventura film. Crime Game. Oh. Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs is the other big one. That that thing that a whole bunch of trans academics have written on about <laughs> how it represents the absolute nadir of that pathologised terror of the trans woman's body, like, that we're constantly positioned as these monsters coming to destroy cis women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the 90s, Denise was really unusual and really progressive and really wonderful to see. Um, Samantha Allen actually wrote for The Daily Beast a really great kind of primer on why she mattered so much. Yeah, it's really good. Um, There's also another piece by Rani Baker for Harlot, which um, talked a bit about contrasting that with the really weird and intense trans misogyny that sometimes came up in the X-Files because Mm -hmm. of the link between David Duchovny. But yeah, there's a lot that Twin Peaks got right in the 90s. And when it was announced that David Duchovny would be reprising the role of Denise, welcome oh. to the mixed feelings population every trans woman on earth. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It, it's something that I felt uncomfortable about as well because – and it's kind of a hard thing to grapple with. You're kind of like, well, everyone else is coming back to reply, reprise yeah. their roles. Why can't Duchovny come mm. back and reprise, you know, a character that was so important to a lot of people? Yeah. But considering how much the, the discourse essentially around – um, trans rights and trans representation yeah. has evolved since 25 years ago. Yeah. It, it really is a question of do do we literally do, do we want to stick another transgender actor in somewhere where a trans actor could portray that character? Yeah. And you would assume that maybe 25 years later, you know, D- Denise might look a heck of a lot different than she did, mm. you know, in the original Twin Peaks yeah. anyway, and it would make more sense for her to be played by a trans woman actress. Mm. Yeah. And look, yeah, like, I think ultimately I understand that it's David Lynch and the way he approaches projects meant that it was always going to be David Duchovny coming back. Mm. There's still definitely room for improvement. Um, I think, especially now that we're in the age where you've actually Mm. got actors like Laverne Cox, Jen Mm. Richards, Jamie Clayton playing trans women on screen. Like, this is a huge Mm. step forward. Um, and, you know, even Jeffrey Tambor finally kind of coming around and being mm. really vocal about, I want to be the last cis dude to ever play a trans woman mm. on TV. Like, there's been so much progress. And in a certain sense, the nostalgia around Twin Peaks, I think, means that there couldn't be that same push forward. Yeah, it kind of cushions it a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. It kind of, like, preserves it in this weird amber. Yeah, wrapped in plastic. Ah! Mm. Hey. Nice. <laughs> um, and so I think it was unavoidable. And I think mm. if... If it had, if it were done well, I was always going to be willing to roll with it. I was always going to be look. If David Duchovny pulls it off, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to say it's not the best casting that could have happened, but I'm glad with the result. But, but. do we now want to talk about what happened in part four? Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about part four because. Um, yeah, Samantha Allen, who I mentioned before, had a really positive response to mm. it. But then you've also got people like Jenny Boylan um, from Glad, who had a really negative reaction. Like, she was very unhappy with how much of a missed opportunity it was. And I think I sit somewhere in the middle. I've I've 
got both. Like, mm. I can't have one or the other. I have yeah. to have both when it comes to a lot of this stuff around yeah. Twin Peaks. I feel like even how, yeah. the, sc- how the scene is constructed, mm. you know, there's there's so much conflicting feelings going on as to what is actually contained within it. Yeah. And, yeah, visually it's, it's a confusingly, like, built scene because we're so often asked to focus on Gordon. Mm. Even when it's Denise's, like, emotional narrative that seems to be the thing that needs to be focused on there mm. she's you know responding as a woman who's been in the fbi for quite some time now a woman mm-hmm. who's seen gordon's behavior around young pretty cis women mm-hmm. specifically young pretty cis women because we'll get into that and wants to be sure that tammy's going to be safe like that wonderful Im- that wonderful idea of women sticking up for each other is something yeah. i absolutely love in the scene gordon's response really troubling and really confusing because mm. on one hand you've got that beautiful beautiful phrase i know Haley, you love this i love it fix your hearts or die mm. which is the most wonderful and supportive thing you can say when someone's transitioning in like in your life is mm. no everyone else you get on board mm. but mm. the context in which he says it the context in which he brings up her transition he brings up what he's done for her to try and get past her saying i'm worried that you may be inappropriate with this younger woman Mm. because I know you mm. it's it's very uncomfortable it's it's very much a power play on Gordon's part and we'll maybe even get into this a bit later because he does it with Diane again he's he's very unfair emotionally with the women in his life he's he's willing to play dirty to get mm. what he wants and I like that as a character note about Gordon but for so we've had so little of Denise and for it to be about her getting told by a cis man in her life, I supported you through your transition, you, you shouldn't question me. And have her back down? Like, mm. I understand why she backed down. I would too in that situation. Absolutely. But the framing of it and the way the camera works, the camera's not asking me to feel what I was feeling. The camera's asking me to feel something different. Like, Lynch is asking for me to respond to it in a different way to what I have to because of my experience with that life. Yeah. Um, I think it's also, there's another layer of something disturbing over the top when you always realise that Gordon is played by David Lynch. Yeah. This is the creator Mm. or one of the creators of this universe essentially, I don't know, grandstanding about how great it was that the show had this character mm. and it's all down to him yeah. essentially why why that character is is so great and it's not yeah. down to Denise being Denise. Yeah, that meta-narrative is also really troubling. Really? Yeah. yeah, but also Denise is more a creation of Frost's than Lynch because Lynch was mm. pretty much abandoned the show by the time true. Denise turned yeah. up. This is true. So yeah. I think I'm pretty sure that was Frost who was writing those lines, mm. which doesn't really make it any less troubling, yeah. but no. it's still... It's more troubling. <laughs> can we talk about the, the line that got cut from one of Denise's earliest episodes? Yes, we can. Seasons, yes. Where she actually talked really heavily about going through um, uh, gender reassignment integration therapy which was a thing in the 90s. Like, mm. it, it was mm. thoroughly recent. She talked to Cooper about being required to dress the part and live the part and go through electrolysis treatments before she'd be allowed to access HRT. Um, mm. That was actually, like, reading back the bits that didn't make it into the final episode, you know, when she and Cooper sitting having coffee and he's talking about it being a rather big disclosure, it was actually bigger in the original version. Mm. Like, she was, it was actually a chance to really introduce to 
you know, middle America, air quotes everywhere in that, yeah. um, the idea that actually trans women have to go through a lengthy process mm. and it's not about the surgery. Yeah. Mm. yeah, That's quite extraordinary that they would go to that level of yeah. detail and actually give it that amount of mm. respect, yeah. essentially. The same script also refers to Denise in her first appearance as man in a dress. So... It's a seesaw. Yeah. yeah. It's a wild seesaw. Well, there are so many archetypes and things, that, like ancient things that turn up in Twin Peaks, like computers, yeah. as you've talked about at length, and we will have a lot to say oh about that God. in this part. <laughs> but I oh. do feel like, in a way, Denise is almost like this exist this you know this woman of an earlier era, yeah. and very and you know the, not only with the casting but also with the with the story, mm. and and of having to work in a, in an institution such as the FBI. I yeah. mean, it's so repressive. I mean, even for all people, but especially for somebody like her, I imagine. Mm. There's just none of the visual indicators of a woman who's had to work hard to get where she is, like. Mm. Wish fulfillment wise, oh my god, a trans woman barely had to like go through the difficulties of voice training or facial feminization surgery or tracheal shaves to get into a really high position of authority. Oh my god, wish fulfillment, yay. Mm. Same hand. Okay, so that really kind of plays into the man in the dress thing. It just doesn't make sense for Denise in particular, like one of probably the first trans FBI agents, given the way like she's talked about by Coop especially to get that far ahead in her career without having to make these accommodations for the cisgender gays, mm. it's, it smacks of a, a, a limited realism, which I don't want to complain about lack of realism in Twin Peaks, but <laughs> um, it doesn't have the same level of care and research mm. that that cut bit from the episode has. Mm. There is just less nuance around Denise in the new one so far, and I'm really hoping that changes. Mm. I really want to see her again. Mm. But, man... David Duchovny, you really should have gone and talked to a voice trainer about what trans women try and do. Yeah, to, mm. you know. yeah. things have things yeah. have progressed in mm. 25 years. Yeah. I don't want know. it to be trans America, but, you know. Mm. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much for illuminating, mm. illuminating us on that bit. Right. Yeah, that, no, that, that was fantastic. And, and yeah. like, Biz and I spoke about this last night, where obviously, you know, trans women are not a monolith. You know, yeah. trans women are going to have a lot of different reactions mm. and, and feelings about these sort of uh, characters popping up in Twin Peaks. And I think it's really important that, that we address them and, mm. and yeah. just go... We we do need to think about these things. These these things aren't just, you know, oh, interesting, quirky things that happen. No, they reflect real people. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's extraordinarily important to get those voices out there and mm. address them. It's very easy to just kind of mm. flap your hands about and go, oh, I imagine it must be mm. like this, but... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you are you overall like happy with the way Denise has been written about? Because a lot of people have had a lot of opinions about. You know. Look, uh, in researching around for this episode, because I wanted to make sure I like brought a variety of viewpoints, because I want to talk about what other trans women have said too. Because we're not a monolith. Shocking. I know. Um, but I, you know, I read some stuff that had me absolutely rolling my eyes. You know, stuff about. Denise, um, in the original series, having to adopt a patriarchal persona to express power, you know, when she oh, drags right. up as Dennis again to yep. um, go do the drug bust, things like that. And, like, you know, there's there's a wide variety of opinions. Some of them are very spicy takes. Some of them are really thoughtful and nuanced, and you're always going to get that. But in general, people tend to be pretty good about Denise. A lot of people still fall into the really standard cis patterns of talking about her transition, but for the most part, they're respectful towards her as a character, which is 
really refreshing. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And kind of what you want in the end. You just want yes. people, you just want a respectful character who you can yeah. come at as a, a real person. Denise is a real person. Because mm. mm. I do recall back at the time, shortly afterwards, when people started writing essays about Twin Peaks, yeah. Denise was used as an example of duality because there were so many examples of duality. And so it was mm. like, well, you know, they decided to put mm. this mm. as another form of duality into the series. And she was kind of more of a tool. I suppose yeah. as a means of expressing that. Yeah, yeah no, we're, we're not duality friends. We're, no. something, we're something much more complex. I'm sorry, it's it's not it's not the coin flipping. It's you no. know a process of no. discovery. And I find that, that that's it, even just from watching the the original series. I think Denise is a very complete person. She's yeah. she doesn't seem to be a person who's in any kind of. A quandary over who she is or having multiple sides to herself. Like, yeah. I think she's very certain about who yeah. she is. Mm. She's a confident lesbian with a ridiculous 80s haircut and I appreciate yeah. it. Oh, that wig was so amazing. It was so, it was so well done. So good. <laughs> so good. Fave wig. Uh. <laughs> well, fave wig in the original series. Yes, true. Mm. True. <laughs> Which leads us into a segue, segue. to part seven. Oh. <laughs> Part seven. Part seven. Right. Oh, um, Haley, what are your general thoughts about it before we go into the recap break, scene by scene, location by oh location breakdown? Oh, my God. I just I don't – feelings. Most good. <laughs> Some troubling, as per always. Yep. I, I love how we literally start out the episode. We're in the forest and Jerry is fucking high <laughs> and we're in the middle of the Horn Brothers sitcom again oh, yeah. and I fucking love it. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, this was this this is fantastically to be hilarious and terrifying. Hilarious yep. and terrifying, and like you feel for Jerry because he's clearly like in a state and he's very a upstairs. Old man he's and a he's scared lost. old man with no cover on his iPhone. Did you notice that no one yeah. had covers on their iPhones during it's this entire confusing. episode? And they're yeah. very nice iPhones. They're very they're clean. Very, very clean, new. particularly mm. considering Jerry's like just been stamping around the woods for ages and mm. attempting to call Ben, and Ben's just yelling at his um, <laughs> what, what do you call those things? Oh, classic office phone. Classic. Yeah. Off, speakerphone. Off, office phone, speakerphone. He's yeah. just yelling at his speakerphone. Just what? Trying, what is what? And oh. And again, we can marvel at the um, the wireless coverage in America that you can be lost in the woods and have mm. oh, crystal clear signal. Oh, amazing! You can live stream Doctor Amp in the middle of the forest. <laughs> God knows, I would, it's the perfect place to live stream him if you're going to live stream yeah. anyway. Yeah. Where else would you want to be aside from Nadine's amazing office? Oh my God, uh, Nadine. Yes. <sighs> she looked so happy. Please bring her back. Please yep. bring her back. Where is she? Yeah. Anywho, continuing on, I um, think uh, the very first, uh, the very important early scene mm. is... Um, just before we leave that one, <gasps> yes. um, he's lost his car, Coop. There's like a little nice little parallel there with Coop. Mm. Yes. Who has lost his car. Lost cars. This, yeah. Mm. I just yeah. thought it was a nice nod. Yes. More yes. missing cars. More missing mm. cars. But as we all know, cars aren't important. Yeah, they're not everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, as you were, the key, the key yeah, scene... Yeah, so the key scene oh, early on, which moment. is this really quite unusual scene for Twin Peaks where mm. we literally sit down with a couple of characters and they essentially recap us yeah. on what was the deal with Laura's diary. Yeah. Is, this was an extraordinary scene that I did not expect to happen mm. at all because most of Twin Peaks has just been like, 
kind of kind of running along, just mm. going, look, you need to keep up. Yeah, mm. you know, if if you haven't watched the original series, if you haven't watched uh, Firewalk with me, we don't care. We're just moving on. But yeah, this very interesting scene with Hawk and Sheriff Truman too sitting down and literally just going through, well, this was Laura's diary. There were four mm. pages missing. We have three pages here. Here's mm. where we think... Leyland was the father. Like Leyland all was of, the father. Yeah, like really obvious. Just, mm. yeah. It's, we get it's literal really hand-holding in a later scene. Yeah. Mm. Literally, li- like Cole is holding, yeah. is holding Tammy's hands to explain things. It was, yeah. it was really, really cool. And also, I loved it because it was a conversation. We've had hardly any information yeah. actually given via two people sitting down and talking. Usually, mm. it's, if you're not paying attention to a visual motif that's recurring in the background or something, then you're going to be behind. You know, yeah. red balloons, red balloons. That sort of thing. Um. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, God, it made me so happy to have that really deliberative moment between mm. Frank and Hawk because... It was, it was just what we needed. Like, mm. we've had all this build-up, and then for them to go, actually, let's reflect a moment. Mm. Let's let's ask a question or two about what we've got in front of us. Yeah. I was yeah. so really wonderfully surprised at the fact that the good coop, bad coop dichotomy mm. was so clearly explained mm. by Hawke. Yeah. Like, he just clearly stumbled stumbled on it that that mm. line of if the good coop is in the lodge and can't come out then the one that came out of the lodge with annie that night was not the good cooper and the fact that it's just been elucidated mm. so clearly for us what everyone has kind of been like being yelling yeah. about for the past six episodes and i feel like hawk's been on the journey with us in terms mm. of trying to work shit out so mm. i feel like yeah, yeah there's there's a couple of audience inserts along yeah this this new twin peaks and, and I, def- I think hawk is definitely one of really them. fascinating for it to be hawk to it have is. him be the detective yes solving yeah. this case um mm. and yeah just getting to hear the full quote from firewalk with me mm. brought into blistering relevance again mm. yep. yeah oh. and, and that other quote oh, oh i know yeah. it's not bob i know who yeah. it is oh. and but then the big revelation is there's one page still missing mm-hmm. yeah. this is what i was like hands over my mouth eyes the size of sources going what the hell there's another page what where where yeah. could it be always another mystery to tease us always always yeah and it was interesting that they they went straight to Leyland mm. hiding the pages in the in the door in yeah. the door because the yeah. bulk because of the theorising has been around it being Mike isn't it yes yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm still on that page I'm still yeah. not 100% convinced that it was Leyland although I'm happy mm. for them to have be putting it in this yeah. early on and to have that as being the direction that they're going to go in because mm. any connection back to yeah. Leyland I think is either way it makes taking. sense Mm. Mm. But it's so beautiful to have Laura back in this again because I do recall mm. you saying when I met you a couple of years ago, I think it was, mm. this is like the key thing. It's about Laura. It's like, always about Laura for me. Yes. Um, and yeah. it's always about Laura for the show. Like, Haley, you were talking about it cycling around grief. Absolutely. Um, and the grief of Laura, like the chaotic power of Laura's effect on the community, her death, but also her life, especially as it got examined in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, mm. Laura is the is the key. Laura is always the thing around which Twin Peaks is swirling. Mm. And I find it really telling that, like, with the sudden horrifying grief of last episode, with the death of a child, we're suddenly back on Laura again. Yeah. Mm. Like, grief keeps opening up the way to Laura, and mm. Laura keeps opening up the way to grief. And there's yeah. so many shadows and illusions and doubling of, mm. like, Laura and her situation that occurs so much during this yeah. episode. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. And I, also because, you know, she she did, like, apparently, at least we think now, died, you know, 26, 27 years ago. She's mm. still, like, the key thing in the marketing for the for the return. Yeah. She's always there. And then there was that one beautiful scene with Bobby seeing her oh, picture, man. which is gorgeous. But she's been pretty absent. And I've been, you know, but she still turns up in the credits quite a lot because yeah. she's in Every the, episode so far, in <laughs> fact, because I, yeah. was, I was double checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the way that she's going to be playing mm. a larger part, larger role, I think, going forward. I'm so excited. Oh, I love your love for Laura. <laughs> Is, uh, oh, it for, is for, it is deep and unending, as Andy experienced when we oh, did a panel together two years ago. Oh, yeah, and as I experienced a couple of weeks ago at Continuum Con, where you showed up as Laura Palmer, literally wrapped yeah, in plastic, was, and it was it was such it a was great. We will, we will be retweeting yeah. this photo because it should yeah. be seen by more people. Oh man, yeah. Thanks, thanks again to Rivka, my friend, for taking the photo of that, where I managed to get my eyes to do the whites only thing. Mm. And oh man, nice. Yeah, I'm very proud of that photo. Um, <laughs> So, so we're given the lead that Doc Haywood was a f- person that they should probably speak mm. to next because he yeah. was the one that saw... I do have a question, though. Back, yes. Yes. Annie left town. Oh, oh did she? We don't well, know. Yeah, we don't know. Do yeah. We? It was the first time she's been mentioned. Yeah, and I'm so curious about what happened with Annie. I'm hoping we get there, mm. but I just want to flag that as something that they bring up and just tease at so lightly, but, oh, man, I want to know. And it's kind yeah. of like, I think we've all kind of realised so far that, like, anything that kind of gets mentioned in any mm. kind of slightly, even, like, a slightly elusive way, mm. it generally cycles back to it eventually. Yeah. So I'll be interested to hear what the outcome of that is yes. yeah look to be honest I was um, tossing up whether or not in part six we'd be seeing Albert go and talk to Diane or whether we'd be seeing go talk to Annie yeah so, this is true yeah. This is or Audrey or Audrey, Audrey was yes. where is Audrey Horn oh. question for later mm. question yes. for later, yes. question yep. for later. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm not sure who else saw, like saw Cooper after he came out of the lodge and then there's a very sh- notable shot of an empty chair and then the next mm. shot we get some of the best um, f- f- like one way phone talking I've ever seen yeah, with um, was... Robert Forster talking to Harry in the hospital. Mm. I, I'm sad that Michael Ontkin couldn't come back, but what they're doing around Harry is really emotionally effective. Yeah, that yeah. was a gorgeous scene of him on the phone. Yeah, poor Frank. Like just... he's just so worried for his brother. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. You kind of see him hovering on the edge of telling him about mm. you know what's been happening with the case, and as soon as he finds out what's been going on, he just he just pulls back immediately. Yeah, and is just like he... you don't need to hear about Laura no. Palmer, Harry. Yeah, You've got enough. It's yeah. nothing urgent. Yeah. Yeah, the beat this thing line. Oh, mm. That was really good. And then we get the... Sorry, now we've got to go to the Skype. The <gasps> Skype machine. <laughs> the sheriff has a secret computer in his desk and this was the greatest thing I've ever seen in and I life. squealed so hard. Yeah, I, yes, thought, I thought of you straight away as I yep. saw this. I was like, oh, God, Haley's going to be oh losing it. Oh, my God. Oh. And that beautiful line where, where um, the sheriff's like, have you used Skype, Doc? And he's like, I use it all the time. I diagnose patients with it. And it's just like, it <laughs> oh, almost so feels like it's the, you know, Frost and Lynch just going like, we're old, but we know how to use shit. <laughs> Yeah, youngins. Which is Stop great because teasing. there have been a lot of old people don't know how to use technology scenes oh, up abs- to this point. Oh, so. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> this is beautiful. Um, I also love the fact that Warren Frost makes his one appearance oh, on Father's Day. Yeah. Mm, oh. Beautiful. Thank, nice work, Mark. Mm, well played. If you're listening. And also heartbreaking. Mm. So yeah. heartbreaking. But we'll also be including an interview with Mark Frost on a later episode oh. of uh, TPC yes. 3. Yes. Look forward one to that. Very exciting. One that Andy's prepared earlier. Oh. Yeah, we, yeah. This is going to be, I think, on our politics episode, politics mm. and social theory or something like that. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff to say about that, but we'll say that later. Yes. But Did everyone also notice that Doc Haywood's hat says Got Trout on it? Oh, so pleased with Got Trout. <laughs> yeah, that is the most Twin Peaks thing I've seen in this series so far, and we've seen Twin Peaks itself. Um, we have. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so we get some very key information from him. I had him checked out while I was on my rounds. I saw him sneaking out of intensive care, fully dressed, mm. and he made that strange face again. And then we get the mm. very ominous, I thought he might be checking out on Audrey Horn, you know, yeah, after that trouble with the bank. That's, that's yeah. really troubling. I really, I'm, really did not enjoy that implication. I know that theory that was floated in an earlier episode of this podcast that I really don't want to be true, and no. I really don't want that to be where it's Me leading. But, Though, you yeah. know, I'm kind of getting the impression that the longer that Audrey is withheld from us, mm. kind of the more painful her return is going to be. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there was some pretty dark stuff in season one, so mm. I wouldn't be surprised if we head somewhere in that territory. Yeah. I am personally tired of Audrey being victimised like that, though. Like, yeah. sexual victimisation is a thing Audrey's had to contend with a lot, and I'd love for season three to not go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and particularly because there was also a lot of stuff thrown up later in the episode with Diane, where there's mm. been a lot of speculation around that, where people do seem to be falling back on some kind of sexual yeah. assault or something like yeah. that. And I would just really love for some of the women in this show not to be victimised in that particular fashion. Yeah. yeah. Although, I'm curious because you heard um, Doc Edwards' line as he made that strange face again. Yeah. I, I re-listened. I heard just kind of a mumble and then saw that strange face again. Oh, okay. Which implies mm. to me that I think Doc Edwards saw the Bob face for a moment. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. that's what I was getting out of it. Which is terrifying. Yes. But also completely in keeping with how Twin Peaks residents deal with the supernatural. Yeah, because Doc... Oh, file that away for never. <laughs> yeah, because Doc wouldn't have seen Bob before. Yeah. No, well, he's... maybe. Mm. I don't think he saw him in season one or two. Yeah. No. That we know of. That we know of. Yeah. yeah. True. Although there is an interesting theory posited that Donna could be the, the mother of Richard Horn. Given that at the end of season two, she was found out that Ben Horn was her dad, so... Is it Donna change her surname? I, we don't know. Yeah, don't know what that's, that's a big unanswered question. Going to appear? Mm, well, There's another question. Yeah. Mm. Well, we could. We, we've had a different actress playing Donna before. Is Apparently, Lara Flynn Boyle won't be turning up. Although mm. that cast list isn't it's mm. pretty yeah. malleable. Anyway, yeah. but then we actually get the end of this quite ominous, horrible suggestion with the, one of the great good jokes of Twin Peaks history. Mm. Like you know, I caught two trout in my pajamas this morning. I don't know how they got in there. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, Best dad joke. Yeah, we're like back Best with the fish in the percolator territory again. I was, yeah. I was on the floor after that. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> what a nice way to fail on Warren Frost. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah. And as another example of them putting a twist, you know, like a nice comic twist at the end of something fairly horrible. Yeah. That lightness matched with the intensity, which is what the early seasons did so well. Like, yeah. It was... A soap opera, a comedy, and a horror film all in one. Mm, yeah. It's nice to get those comic beats again. This, yeah. I think, was by far the funniest episode. Mm. Sorry, oh, pun. absolutely. Funniest oh, part. Rolling on the floor. So yeah. also there we have we have Andy policing, which yeah. is nice to see. Mm. Um, and we've got Richard Horn's truck that's standing, like, it's been parked next to a house by inhabited by a very intense man. Mm, a very worried man yeah. who is clearly not going to show up to this meeting you're asking for. Andy, no. please, no. please get how, a bit of a How many crimps around Twin Peaks do you reckon have gotten away with shit for years just by <laughs> circumnavigating Andy? Yeah, just yep. go, go straight to Chad. Yeah. Yep. Oh, 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 fucking Chad. Chad. Please. So. <laughs> Chad. So he met him in two hours at Sparkwood and 21 at 4.30. There's that number again. Mm. Um, yep. Um, and then Andy you know, turns up at Sparkwood and 21. The time is 5.10 when he looks at his Rolex. Yeah. What's going on there? What? Yeah. Is yeah. he part of this? I don't understand. Anyway. Um, but there was a beautiful um, battle lamenty cue that we hadn't heard for a long time in that scene. That so good beautiful. to hear again. That was gorgeous. Yeah. Was beautiful tree shots that were very green. And then we get also the cut to the house of the trucker with the door ajar. Which yeah. was... Ominous. Yeah. yeah, he dead. He's, he's, mm. dead. he's dead. He's dead. Whether it was Richard or Red, let's find <laughs> out. 
Mm. Yeah. Also, in great, we go to the Great Northern for the first time. In quite a while, in yeah. In quite a while. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it's one of the most glorious scenes. Because like I say, first of all, it's interesting to see that Ben now has a smaller office that's off the lobby yeah. rather than the palatial place that he had back mm. in the first two seasons. So I, I, this is running with my theory that Audrey is running the Great Northern and putting yeah. him up the front. Oh, it makes Glad so happy. Oh, yeah. This is what I'd hope. Mm. Um, yeah, and what we also discover in this scene is, one, there is a hum mm-hmm. in the Great Northern that seems to move wherever you... Yeah. The opposite of wherever you are in a room. Yeah. And uh, Ashley Judd is here. Yes. Ashley Judd. And Ashley talking. Ashley Judd and talking and actually getting a storyline, which yeah. is very exciting. Oh, so happy about that. Yeah, same. I was really happy we'd see more Bev. And we got so much more Bev. <laughs> so much more Bev. Yeah. Um, so this hum... Uh, so mm. I really hope that it is well. It's probably not going to be. I'm mm. just you know willfully I wish. To I want it to be. The Great Northern is haunted by Josie, mm. and she's just yeah. weirding everyone out. Yeah, yeah. this is releasing me out. from my doorknob. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is she in the lamp now? <gasps> is she the lamp? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to have to get Nadine in as our lamp expert? Yes, that's a brilliant idea, and <laughs> I want to run with that as far as I can. Yeah. Um, I also love the fact that we heard the lines, "Who's Agent Cooper? Who's Laura Palmer?" Yeah, mm. that we're seeing people who really have no idea what happened in Twigs, Twin Peaks twenty five years ago. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. it's kind of interesting that newer residents don't know what happened Mm. because generally what happens in small towns like those sort of events tend to circulate for a very very long time and whenever anyone new comes along you know if they're accepted into Mm. the fold you then get taught the law of the town but the fact that Twin Peaks has clearly grown to the extent that there Mm. are a lot of new residents who don't know what happened is kind of indicative of the town that we now find ourselves in Mm. on the same beat though how much do you think it's just hard for Ben Horn to go well she was a woman I employed as an underage sex worker in an illegal brothel I ran that was also involved in heroin trade whoops (laughs) whoops whoops Like, I feel like that may have turned Beverly off from her clear interest in him. Yes. Which was also fascinating to watch Ben Horn not taking a woman up on her clear romantic and sexual interest in him. Even though Mm. he was clearly keen because old Randy Goats die hard. And those Mm. hand gestures with the eyes closed. I think we were both going, Ben, move your hands back. Move your hands. Hands back. Move your horns back. Hands back. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of heartening, though, that Ben has kind of, you know, held on to those... Uh, I'll be a better man thing. I'll be a better yeah. man. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Uh, you know, yeah. all of that that he'd, he'd pushed himself towards at the mm. end of, this, of, of the um, second series. He originally. may have actually improved. He may mm. have actually improved. Yeah. He's clearly tried, mm. you yeah. know. But, but, you know, we don't know if some indiscretions have happened here or there and whether they are named Richard. Mm. <laughs> um, we also get the, the return of the, the key. To room three one five. Yes, yes. postal service back. is very prompt. Thank you, Jade. Yes, yeah, nice work, Jade. Back to us. Thank you, Jade. Yeah, yeah. The fact yeah. that Ben even remembered it was pretty mm. telling. Yeah. So, and, 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 and and explicitly linked it to Cooper. Yes, yeah. and willing to talk about it. Yeah, mm. Mm. this stuff lingers in Twin Peaks memory, but it seems like so much around Laura. Secrecy is the only way people can deal with it. Mm. Like, I mm. feel like that's part of why everything's. Who was Laura Palmer? 25 years later is because no one wants to own up to just how much her death revealed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Good point. Mm. Too um, many sins. And then we, so many sins. And, and then we go to Beverly's house. Yeah. Number 16832. Yeah. Which I this, is, this is another curious incident of the things that happen behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, 
Mm. Um, so yeah, she's talking to a nurse on the threshold, and then she leaves with dinners on the stove. And then we get introduced to a man who's credited as Tom Page, sitting in a wheelchair with tubes. And look, it's, a, it's like a person who's incapacitated, and they're not female. Oh, mm. surprises. Finally. Yeah, that was a <laughs> yeah. nice change. And then immediately she starts, I know you've been suffering, but do not use that to fuck with me. Yep. Yeah. Ashley Judd gets Just tense. because you're sick doesn't mean you can be jealous and controlling Ashley Judd's husband. Yeah. Do not fuck with her. She is really passag and really, yeah. like, inappropriately prying, even as she's incredibly defensive from the get-go. Mm. Like, there is a there is a bad dynamic going on there, and mm. those and two are not And you kind of feel happy. like it's been yeah. going on for a long time. Yeah, mm. and whether it's, it's something that was exacerbated by, you know, Tom's sickness and Beverly needing to get a job to support them, or whether it's something that's come about because Beverly's failing to deal with the fact that she has to be a carer for her sick husband. Mm. Let's find out. It's a big tangled mess, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's going to be very upsetting no matter how it plays out. Oh, mm. I know, but I really want to see it. Yep. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm, I'm popcorn yep. in my hand about it. <laughs> popcorn it, it's, gift immediately. Yep. It, it's Twin Peaks at its soap opera best. Yes. It's, and that's kind of what I've yeah. been waiting for. It's been mm. kind of like, we've been getting it a lot with the Janie and Dougie storyline, but mm-hmm. other than that, it's kind of been a little absent yeah. and this is this is beautifully pulpy and I'm very mm. excited for it. Same. Yep. It feels like we're getting back into Twin Peaks rather than just seeing Twin Peaks. Yes. Yeah, and it's yeah. the older version with like the mm. typical 1950s American male unable to fulfill his 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 husbandly duties mm. and getting frustrated and, and pass- a- aggressive about it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, mm. very interesting. Um, staying in Twin Peaks, we, then we get the amazing shot at the roadhouse that has oh, <laughs> occupied a lot of people's. Oh, that was so great. <laughs> Haley and I were there sitting like, do, do, do we want to say something? Just <laughs> trying to work out if we should start talking or if the scene was about to take off without us. Yeah. <laughs> it was very light. Mm. And yeah, seeing it as a whole, I was sitting there just going, oh my God, this is everything I love and hate about this show in one yeah. scene. It was such a. It was so well timed for a really good meditative moment. Like I found it really good for just okay, letting those emotions settle. Because then we get Jean Michel, another double, <gasps> the yes. lost Renault the twin. The lost Renaults, and the Renaults are at it again with the pimping of teen girls. It really is all happening again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> two of them. Yeah. Yep. He owes me fifteen-year-olds, but they had good IDs. Yeah. Mm. All the horrible. Yeah, it was, it was kind of wonderful to see him be so disgusting again with his mouth. Like yeah. the way that Walter Onkwitz uses his mouth is just, I can't see anyone else doing anything like it. Mm. Um, yeah, I was, I was just thinking, bite the bullet, baby, mm. every time it closed up on him. But yeah. this time they were yeah. even younger. They were only 15-year-olds. Yeah. Mm. So, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Every, it does feel like everything has been amped up. Like the drug use is a bit worse this time around. Yeah. Prostitution is a bit oh, disgusting. It's killing several children. Yeah. You know. The, se- the sex work is younger women being exploited now. Yeah. 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 <sighs> so, and then we also learned that the, the Renault family have been running the roadhouse for 57 years. Yeah. Which I, I always knew that they did, but I didn't realise it had been for that long. Yeah, they are really firmly embedded. Yeah. Yes. That but Canadian always evil. outsiders because they're Canadian. The evil Canadian. Exactly, yes. Canadian. <laughs> this is another thing I was thinking of you going, oh my God, it all totally plays with your theory that Canada is a cesspool of degradation. Lynch's theory. Yeah. Clearly, Sorry, yes, he does yes. not like Canada, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the double of America, but only the bad bits. It's, it's America's Black Lodge. Oh, good call. <laughs> wow. You're just coming up with the quotes today. It's beautiful. <laughs> Okay, we're so in Buckhorn. Lieutenant Knox. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Knox. South Dakota. Yeah. 
Oh, Adele Renee is so charming. She has such a great screen presence. <gasps> she's so amazing. She's got yeah. a wonderful face and she just mm. really conveys this fact that this is this is a woman who's very much ordinarily in a position of power and respect, but she mm. is so way over her head here. She's a good egg over her head. And yet she's really adapting to the situation. You mm. see her like putting pieces together and that little sly smile when she's talking. Mm. Where she's like... I've just worked something out. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love the way she cocks her head to the side just a little mm. bit and you're like, oh yeah. my God, she's got it. Yeah. yeah. Like so it's a lot of great acting in that scene, especially with our other favourite Constance. <gasps> yes. Our other favourite Constance. Give her more lines. She's oh. just great. Oh, her flourish with the body. Just, aha, it's oh. a body. Please don't give up your day job, Constance, because then <laughs> no. we might not get to see you as much. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I hope um, she has magic tricks associated with that stand-up comic show she's yeah. talking about. Mm. Um, so they examine the body, which they determine is Briggs's. How mm. old was this man? Late 40s. There's all sorts of conundrums yeah. being thrown up in this beautiful mm. scene. Yeah, and then she goes into the corridor to call Colonel Davis. Mm. It's not just Prince this, this time, it's the body. Mm. Yeah, but the head is missing and he's the wrong age. And mm. so. And how carefully she re explains it the head's not here, it's missing. Yes. Yeah. And then we get the scariest scene, possibly, yes, of the whole. With the, the monochrome thing. mendicant, I like to call them. Oh, wow. yeah. that's really good. Yeah, you like? <laughs> that's really good. Because yeah. that's the thing, you can't really call him, he, he's not an apparition anymore because you hear his footfalls mm. as he's well, coming we down We do, the but corridor. do they? Yeah. Oh. She seems to notice something, but she doesn't yes. look at him in the same way that the audience has yeah. been invited so to Yeah, so he's look. clearly yeah. a presence in some way, mm. some kind of corporal yeah. presence. Did, did you pick him as being the same person in the cell next to Bill Hastings? Definitely I the assume. same. Yeah. I did yeah. too, but I first yeah. thought that body. I remember the one being much he looks skinnier, a bit different mm. yeah. in the in the cell. Or is that, but then again, we never really yeah. saw him in motion in that first yeah. scene. Yeah. And with the jacket and the hunch, it's likely it might just be that kind of bulky look. Do you yeah. do you think he's a woodsman from the um, room above the convenience store? Remember, like a uh, mm. log lady's log lady's husband is commonly thought to be the woodsman who, yeah. who was dressed very very similarly. Mm. We only get to see him for one scene in Firewalk with Me, I believe. It's possible. Yeah. I feel like I feel like that is one I'm, I've got so many questions about, but I know I'm just going to have to wait it mm, out. Yeah. And Lynch is going to make me this wait This is a waited out yeah. situation, I think. Which yeah. is unfortunate because I want to know so badly. Yeah. Okay, speaking of David Lynch, mm -hmm. we're with Gordon in his office <laughs> oh. and he's whistling in front of an explosion. And also, did you see that picture corn. of framed corn? This mm -hmm. is like David Lynch's The Room. Mm. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I'm um, just one. Sorry, one more thing about that. Um, also, the tone that we get um, when the, with the appearance of the monochrome mendicant, yes, is the exactly 430 hertz. Oh, 430. Oh, someone's Thank someone's done some good research. It wasn't me. It was somebody no. on on Instagram. But I was like, oh my god. Thank you, brilliant. Instagram. Thank person. you, Instagram. I sent that straight yeah. to Claire Ninarelli, who was similarly surprised. Yeah. yeah. And it sounded like the electric hum that we've come to associate with some very weird things happening. So. Weird electric, uh, mm. weird electrical things. Yeah, it's yes. the same tone as you get in the in the red room. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Cole's office. <gasps> Cole's mm. office. I thought he was singing. He was whistling bird song to himself, but I couldn't be sure. It I think definitely it is bird sounded song. bird song. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. But just that beautiful image of mm. David Lynch leaning back and whistling while there's an explosion of dramatic proportions behind him. What a perfect <laughs> summary oh, of Twin Peaks season three <laughs> in one shot. <laughs> or of just Lynch in general. True. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's it's a constantly re returning thing in mm. Lynch that he loves having just a nuclear explosion on the wall somewhere. Right. Yeah. I'm Just disaster always hanging <laughs> over the shoulder. And then. Albert reports back that no, his foray with Diane was not successful <laughs> and Gordon's going to have to give it a go now and Gordon's a massive chicken and was like, but you'll come with me. Right? This is not good news, Albert. <laughs> he Set. needs to see him. 
Say please. Yeah. What? <laughs> you heard me. Which is just, I just love the just beautiful, taunting, childish, mm. professional relationship that they have. But Miguel Ferry is so straight-faced the whole way through. Oh, it's so good. Like, Albert so is good. just relishing it, but you can't see it on his face, but you can tell. Mm. And are we ready? Yeah. Oh, are, are we ready, ready to go meet Diane? <gasps> For reals. For reals. And she's not alone. She's She's not not alone. alone. She has a boy toy. Which just makes me respect her all the more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, younger man, played by Jesse Johnson, son of (laughs) 80s heartthrob Don Johnson. Oh! Really? I did my research on that one. Which means, is is he the brother or half-brother of Dakota Johnson then? I don't know that much. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I've, I've, oh. I've, I've, I've taken celebrity relations just a step too far. Okay. Uh, That's fine. We're going to need to do some mapping here shortly afterwards. Yeah. yeah we're on to it. It's all good. Um, it's all good. But yeah, I, I really adore the idea that she just has this boy toy fling who is clearly infatuated and enamored with her because oh. that little kissy blows her. Oh, oh it's yeah. Adorable. That was brilliant. She's rocking his world. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, and I also love that Diane is really salty and bitter oh, about everything. It I is mean, not what I expected, and it's everything I didn't I, know I wanted. I, I think it's not what fandom expected yeah. in general, because I feel like the fandom conceptual hope for Diane was that she was essentially going to be like some kind of female Cooper. Yeah. And th- that's not mm. what we've gotten at mm. all, and I'm feeling so fulfilled by the yeah. Diane that we get. Yes. Oh, just, because it makes sense. It makes yep. so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I particularly love that Gordon very specifically says at one point during the scene, tough cookie always was. Yeah. So you know that this is mm. this this is how she's always been. And yeah. just imagining the relationship she must have had with Coop is yeah. hilarious mm. on so many levels. And just every line in this scene, like I, I wrote down notes and it's just there's in all caps, every line in this is iconic about this scene <laughs> because every moment is just charged with all this comedic potential, but also really yep. good emotional weight. So, like, yep. you know, fuck you, Gordon. I um, now have a dream to just be told to fuck you by Laura Dern. Yeah. It's like, you know, and Gordon commenting that it's personal. Sorry, Albert commenting that it's personal. It's like, it's not personal. Fuck you too, Albert. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh man. She's brutal and, She's you know, brutal ref- and- refusing him coffee and cigarettes with coffee in one hand and <laughs> dr- taking a drag on the other. And then almost resentfully then actually providing coffee as yeah. well at some point of just like... Mm. And, and that she's tension so of Diane, mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. That tension of Diane that she's like so angry and so mm. rightfully bitter, I get the feeling, mm. about the FBI in general, but keeps putting herself into it. It's just like, no, I'm I'm going to engage. Yeah. Mm. And she makes the choice to engage over and over. Mm. And it makes me so happy because I want more of her. Yeah, but it's interesting how at the time it's really funny and really, really edgy. Mm. And then in retrospect, you're like, oh, like now we know why, you know, later on we find out why she's so angry at the FBI. Mm. And it becomes this kind of sadder, more poignant thing. Yeah. Mm. But it's still hilarious. I mean, we still don't know the full story and I'm really hoping no. to find out more. Yeah. But also, I'm calling it now, Diane knows about Blue Rose. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because I think so. Gordon's like something you know very well about. Mm. Yes. It wasn't about Cooper anymore. He'd already established she's got the Cooper credentials. I think she's Blue Rose. Yeah, and yeah. also I think she's one of the few characters who we can put out, if we're like big Twin Peaks nerds, we can put ourselves into because she knows yeah. so much stuff. She's had all the tapes. Mm. She's done all this research for him. Yeah. She's been part of the whole picture for all this time. So, mm. yeah, she's got fantastic information. Yeah. Mm. And we move on and with the same characters into the next sequence where everyone is trapped on a small plane with Gordon, which I feel is not <sighs> pleasant. And we move on and with the same characters into the next sequence where everyone is trapped on a small plane with Gordon, which I feel is not <sighs> pleasant. 
Yeah, a lot of this scene we see from Diane in the foreground with yeah. sipping on a miniature liquor bottle. Mm. With yes. yeah. I think it's patronising, but it's also kind of like, I think it's also like a weird way of kind of establishing like their solidarity of kind mm, of yeah. having similar experiences of having to face someone that they once knew who is now not no longer. Right, yeah. Sort mm. of thing. And his little smile when he walks away from it's just like, yeah, yeah they've they've connected uh, again. He's, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's very charmed with her telling him to fuck off. Yeah. So <laughs> Who yeah. wouldn't be? Exactly. <laughs> I love them so it's much. All our new yeah. And then we get this moment with <gasps> talking about that reversed fingerprint. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Reversals Tammy's again. Done the work. Yeah. She's done the work. She's done good work. Mm. Yeah. So they compare them and they realize that the index finger, oh, sorry, the ring fingerprint ring of finger. the left hand has been reversed. Yeah. And uh, Irev, the backwards word. Yes. Yeah. Irev, yes. And then we get a yeah, beautiful hand holding and le- mm. led through the significance of this of yes. spiritual mouth. You think about that, Tammy. Yeah. It's interesting. It's if you go by the ring fingers, very old. Mm. Hmm. A good call. Yes. Yeah. Nice one. Because I rewatched and like took Counting. notes, made sure I found out what the other word was because I think both fingers are going to be important. Right. Okay. Because yeah. the green ring is, has heretofore only been on left hands. Left hands. Yeah. Apart from but Mike has. We're playing with mirrors so much, I want to have all my evidence ready for Excellent. when something oh, inevitably oh, oh. goes fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we get led through that and then we get shown the only known photograph we have of Cooper in the last 25 years. Which Where is... he's badly in photoshopped oh. in front of some palatial mansion in Rio. <laughs> yes. Oh man. It just, it reminds me, it makes me think of the movie Spy. I don't know why. It's just so <laughs> Melissa McCarthy in Spy for it some really reason. Is. <laughs> it just feels so intensely that. <laughs> and I can't believe that this is presented as evidence because um, the shadow behind Cooper is at four o'clock. The shadow on the mansion is at twelve o'clock, and the shadow of the palm trees on the other side of Cooper are at six o'clock. Oh my god! Everything's yeah. badly photoshopped. This it's is great. just an yeah. Ouroboros of bad Photoshop. It so was manufactured. Com- <laughs> so it's clearly a composite, and I'm flummoxed yeah. as to why this is even considered any mm. evidence at all. Or is time just not working properly around our couplicate? This is true. 25 years later, site who is probably listening to this, you can talk about the use of the word couplicate and please cut it to bits. You're welcome. Please do. <laughs> also, girl from Ipanema. Yeah, come just, on. What a weird little reference to throw in. I love just, it. Well, how many other jazz standards are we going to hit before this series is All out? All of them. Yeah, we've got <laughs> take five ticked off. We've got, now we've got girl from Ipanema. <laughs> and then we're in our prison and the most beautiful Diane moment of the entire episode of what you say your name was again, Tammy. Fuck you, Tammy. <laughs> oh, I yeah. just love her so much. And Tammy is trying so hard. And mm. I, I'm really fascinated by Christabel's performance so yes. far. So am I. She's because sickly. it's beautifully yeah. uncanny, it's isn't really it? It's really unsettling. Like, um, mm. is she trying to be the ingenue of the FBI? Is she, like, trying to play up to, like the femininity that Gordon Cole is clearly interested in and thus kind of win people's attention and maybe respect from there when they see that she's actually doing quite a good job. Yeah, well, it's yeah. interesting because I interviewed her once and every mm. single interview I've ever seen with Christabel is yeah. prefaced by the term David Lynch's muse. Yeah. Which is be a, and I did ask her about that. Like, isn't this a weird way to be, you know, living your mm. life as being known constantly as being this muse that somebody may or may not have the t- time to give you some attention? Yeah. Um, and she said, no, well, it's just a thrill to be working with a creative person like him. Mm. And she was kind of okay with it. But it does strike me as really weird. And when I watched mm. this with Eloise Wash, previous guest of the show, 
she was saying every single woman walks the same way has clearly been instructed to move with the same mm. way and with Christabel mm. it looks really weird because she's like a peacocking her shoulders back and she's yeah. got this really strange stance I mean yes. peacocking is a good word for everything about her performance mm. she's really like playing hard yeah although another yeah. friend pointed out to mm. me she was like I feel like she moves like a snake mm. in that she has mm. these really kind of like quick particularly like her head movements yeah. are very curious and 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 I after my friend said this to me I noticed it very strongly in this episode of mm. just like she moves slightly unnaturally or yeah. slightly predatorily and it makes for a really gripping performance like I'm mm. really curious to see what that's moving towards yes yeah, mm. yeah and I'm wondering if she's going to sing at some point because she has a phenomenal voice I mean yeah that is her whole thing like she did two albums with with David Lynch like writing mm. the music for her so We've yeah. got to get a voice in there somewhere. Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> Karaoke at the Roadhouse, oh, FBI style. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's glorious. Um, and so then we get the phenomenal scene of oh, um, yeah. Diana meeting Doppelkoop. Oh, man. I knew Emmys it was going to for be. Laura Dern. Load the Emmy Emmys. cannon. Because my heart could not take the sheer intensity of emotion that played across this Diana's was one face. of the most, yeah, this oh. was one of the most stressful scenes I think I've experienced in like the entire series. Mm. And it's totally down to the emotionality kind yeah. of hidden under the scene. And, like, we don't even know everything that underpins this scene yeah. yet. I, I think, obviously, things will probably be revealed to us in the fullness of time. Mm. But it was already, oof, it was mm. heavy going. Yeah. It was, yeah. And it was fascinating to see, because this is possibly one of the few people who've already in encountered Doppelcoop. Mm. And so it was interesting. Possibly. That, possibly. I've, I've noticed that mm. fandom has very, very quickly decided that she definitely has. Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% on it. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on that too, but mm. should we recap a bit Let more of the scene and see? Let us recap a little and bit more and then we will and then we'll, let's, let's delve in after sure. that. Sure. Yeah. So we get this conversation. Well, first of all, she, um, Diane has to know that she's going to be completely in control of the conversation. Mm. So she's in charge of the screen and the microphone uh, and going to be going in alone and has 10 minutes tops and she gets to cut, decide if it gets cut off earlier. Um, and so then we have the conversation. I knew it was going to be you. It's good to see you again, Diane. Oh, yeah, but when was that, Cooper? When did we see each other last? And then we get, mm. he gets, says a very, very ominous line at your house, but he says it very slowly, very deeply, very mm. carefully, as if he's reading it or yeah, from somewhere. Because it's, I'm yeah. intrigued as to how he's managed to source his information. Like, has he got mm. all of Cooper's memories or yeah. has he all of research? Does. Yeah, I've, I've always just assumed because they were doubles, they they, they have the same memories of things. Like, <clears throat> Doppelcoop knows all the same people yeah. that Coop does, even though he theoretically, like, he, he knew who Gordon was, even though he's mm. presumably never encountered mm. Gordon. Although yes. I feel like Duplicoop's had, like, 25 years to really carefully plan things out, and he's, he has plans upon plans yes. upon plans. Yeah. So it would totally be within his wheelhouse to have just invasively researched every last aspect of Cooper's life this is true. to find out exactly what's going on. Yeah, well, the thing that, yeah. that made me think that the fandom might be right in this is the way that she, the last lines she says to him, who are you, which is exactly what you know, yeah. Laura said to Leyland as she was realising who he was. Like, yeah. who are you? And she was looking at Bob's face in Firewalk With Me. Yeah. And the fact um, that it's given so much weight... I totally see where that theory is coming from. Like, my personal distaste for more women being sexually victimised yeah. by supernatural forces is making me really want it to be the reading I took away, which was mm. that bef a couple of days before Cooper went to Twin Peaks, he and Diane finally shared a bed. Right. And I think, like, the way she says that she'll never forget that night, there's there's enough longing tinged in Laura Dern's performance that I think that it was a positive experience and mm. there's something else that's happened 
that's mm. caused her to be really bitter and upset. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Because in My Life, My Tapes, he talks about meeting Diane once for Chinese mm. um, before he goes to Twin Peaks. Mm. Chinese. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> this is, yes. This is yeah. Mark Frost in the yes. early 90s. Yeah. So, some dinner and a uh, movie. Perhaps. And he talks about having uh, sex with Caroline. Mm. So he's not afraid to talk about those things yeah. that do happen, but that mm. may have happened yeah, before. It may be that it's something Coop doesn't want to talk about because it's really complicated. And doesn't need to tell Diane. her on a yeah. cassette. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely came away with. Biz's reading of mm. whatever had happened had happened with the good Cooper before he came to Twin Peaks. I'm not, I'm, I'm always assuming that she was always a bit of a salty person anyway. Yeah. Mm. And having someone like Dale Cooper disappear <laughs> out of your life all of a sudden mm. would accentuate that. And I'm assuming yeah. she also probably had some bad experiences with the FBI yes. as well yeah. in trying to find what had happened yeah. to him. So I'm assuming that these are the sort of things backing up her behaviour mm. as well. But yeah, it's it's the way that she says, who are you? In that she knows immediately from seeing him, like she knows immediately that something is wrong. Like you cannot look into that wrong face of Doppelkoops, those wrong eyes without knowing something immediately that this isn't the person that you knew. That's the line that almost broke me when you know after this scene we end up in the car park and Laura's talking to Gordon and she says listen to me that is not the Dale Cooper that I knew and she's she's breaking she's crying and it's just so overwhelming for her it's mm. yeah it's 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 really disturbing and I would like to feel I don't know. I feel like having Dale Cooper as a friend would be an enormously beneficial thing to your life and having lost that for 25 years and then being confronted with this thing that looks like him but is everything that he was not would be such a traumatic experience alone. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, and I feel like any any attempt she had made to find out something would have just been Mm. stonewalled by the FBI. Absolutely. Which would definitely difficult to be very Yeah. Um, and, and on the way out, Cole tells Warden Murphy, hold this man till you hear from us. Mm. Um, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, that, in, the encounter between her and Cole, I think, is probably, mm. the, probably yeah. the strongest scene in the whole piece. And I absolutely... So like, amazingly well played. Mm, and, like, just as, as a single, like, frame, as a single moment, the blocking when we're looking at Diane going over to Gordon and Albert and Tammy standing by the car, the blocking in that is just really beautiful there's something about that just draws you right to diane's posture it's gorgeously deliberate isn't it yeah it really it is really one of those moments where you see lynch and just how well he can play with a camera Mm -hmm. and uh and then just the sheer emotionality of what diane's going through Mm. breaking down about that not being her coup and then also cole not knowing what to do physically so he's like Mm. put his hands on her waist and he's like oh actually i don't really know when she hugs him because he realizes and she's very physical as well the fact that she keeps like thumping her chest and saying there's something here mm. that definitely isn't mm. here. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it, yeah. You, you kind of notice a lot in, well, in this new Twin Peaks anyway, people don't really react bodily with each other yeah. as much unless it's something violent. So to have that kind of, like, intimacy between Gordon and, and Diane, and she'd been very antagonistic towards him, mm. you know, as this kind of representation of the FBI that clearly stymied so many of her chances of finding out what happened to mm. Coop. Mm. And so to kind of have this moment is really... Yeah. Yeah. And yet she was still allowed the space to be bitter and fu- 
furious at the FBI. Yeah, she and it was, was such a nice balance. We can have both. She was allowed yeah. to have so much emotionality. And Biz mm. and I spoke about this last night when we were kind of decompressing after watching mm. it and how we both really loved that in the world of Twin Peaks, things like intuition and emotional responses, things that are really typically coded as feminine aren't just accepted as being just as important as empirical fact yeah, in, in the world of Twin Peaks. They're almost more prized yeah. in that all Diane has to say to Gordon is, I feel that that is not Dal Cooper, and he says that's good enough yes. for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was actually, when I rewatched after you went mm. home, like I really sat down and thought about that again. Something that's come back to me over and over again watching Twin Peaks that I love is that in Twin Peaks, women's awareness of evil, be it supernatural or just natural, um, it's never a matter of just inherent attunement. Like, it's not mm. just what women are. There's always an element of expertise to it. Mm-hmm. You know, Diane is the coop expert. Laura is someone who has spiritual knowledge. Like, it's, it's not just that she can tell something's wrong. It's that she's been paying attention. Mm. She's learned the shape of Bob. And she sees beneath the image of him. There's like, there's yeah. always an intelligence connected yeah. to it. You and, know? and emotional intelligence is something that Lynch actually puts into his stories, which makes the women so much more vital, I think. Mm. And it's one of the reasons I feel like he succeeds a lot in writing women, even when he gets fetishistic and weird, mm. where a lot of other male directors just don't quite get it. Yeah. Mm. Um, I feel like that focus on interiority and emotional learning is something that's really valuable. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Good call. Hmm. Um, and then we also get um, Cole wanting to know about the the last night that you mentioned in there, which we... You uh, and I will talk. Yes, which yeah. is another nod to something we're going to revisit at some point, mm. hopefully. Mm. Uh, and then on the way back in, Cooper... Sorry, Doppelcoop. Mm. Oh, sorry. Um, Cooplicate. Cooplicate. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Cooplicate tells a warden that just to speak about the, a strawberry. Yeah. And we all know mm. that this is something that we don't know what it means, but it's... Oh, we're about to find out. It's distressing. what it does. It's not very happy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And still at Yankton Prison in Sioux City, uh, we get Cooper meeting with Warden Murphy, so that message does get passed on. Mm. Um, Warden Murphy gets the guard to leave. I've turned the cameras off so we can speak freely and privately, and then Murphy pulls a gun and thinks that he's going to be in charge of this scenario. (laughs) You're never in charge of the scenario when when Doppelcoop's involved. Any coop, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, The dog leg, that dog had four legs, Mm. the one you found in my trunk, which is nice to have a throwback to something that we were still like a dog leg next to to a gun and some cocaine. Mm. Plans within plans within plans. Mm. Yes, he's obviously, yeah, Yeah. things are going on. Now, my my theory was, which I got mocked at roundly um, in part three, was that Mr. Strawberry was potentially the name of Warden Murphy's dog. You were right, it turns out. Well, was I? Yeah, Yeah. your late Mr. Strawberry. Like, referencing dismembered dog legs and then saying that, classic power play. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, which was nice because almost all my theories turned out to be nonsense. (laughs) Got that one right on the head. (laughs) Thank you. Um, You're up on the chalkboard. Speaking of theorizing, though, (gasps) three dog legs with information, one dog leg present. Three pages with information, one page missing. I feel like there's a really interesting parallel going on there. Four, three. Four, three, three, zero. I don't know. And now it's four, three, one. This. Um, I try. (laughs) So we don't want these people coming around to hear if anything happens to me. So we've got this thing, and then he mentions Joe McCluskey, which Mm. is obviously a nod to some small town corruption that Murphy Murphy is involved in. 
Um, and so I think with the he's got this. He merely has this leverage over him, and he arranges for his very clean escape at one a.m. with Ray Monroe, which we theorised earlier, and I think a lot of people did that. This was the main reason uh, Cooplicate was in the prison was to be able to break Ray out to yeah. get this information to get to Bill Hastings. Mm. Yes, and we of course. Surely Ray is not long for this world. As soon as as soon as Doppelkoop's got his information, like he's whacked. Yeah, like he's gone the way Daria. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, Ray. Yeah. You're walking to your own death there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Although how beautifully shot is that exit from the jail. Oh yes. This yeah. is this is one of the, the pinnacles. It was so beautiful. It was like something out of the out of the Elephant Man or mm. out of like a Murnau's Murnau film, mm. like Vampire or something like that. This, Dreyer's Vampire. This is already Andy's new computer wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Right to the screenplay. Yeah, mm. to my wallpaper. Yeah, yes. it was just so beautifully composed. Yeah, we had a wonderful moment last night where where I managed to get Haley to burst out laughing just by yelling at the screen, "Go into the light! <laughs> Please, just go and never come back." <laughs> Oh, um, I yeah, want to be rid of only. I want to be rid of Kuplikat so much, but I don't want to because I I need to know so much more. Mm. But he's so upsetting. Very upsetting. Yeah, yeah. And so he just drives out of there, and we get a lingering shot on Warden Murphy, who is probably just torched his career. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those dog legs are going to come bite him. Yeah, that, yeah. the Kosky thing must have been pretty serious. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Man yeah. got secrets. The next location is Vegas. Um, we open with Tony standing nervously in uh, in oh. Dougie's office, wanting I, to know about the files. I am thriving at the sight of Kyle McLaughlin studiously ignoring Tom Sizemore. Mm. With his beautifully built, brill-creamed hair. Oh, yes. You are so, so happy about that So artfully arranged. Yeah. Is there a reason you're not talking to me, Dougie? Um, and then also I like how he's sketching off the page. Yeah. As well, much a nice little nod. And then a woman walks in, the one who has a crush on him, whose name escapes me. But mm. uh, Well, yeah, she's been treated with such delicacy by the narrative. I can't imagine why you'd forget her name. Uh, yes. Ah, another forgettable young woman who wants to sleep with older yes. men. Who's also walking like oh. Christabel. Who also, yes, yeah. walking like Christabel. Well, in Everyone's in those, in those heels, it's hard not to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And then he, he, the police officers come in to talk to him about the car. At the same time, as a uh, very frustrated Janie also joins. Mm. Comes in to talk about the same Did thing. you all notice from the credits, so the three police detectives who are played mm. by David Koshner, Larry Clark and Eric Edelson. Oh, thank you for looking into they this. They are all named Detective Fusco. Yeah. Oh my so God. I'm presuming that they're all brothers. The Fusco brothers. The Fusco <laughs> detecting brothers. <laughs> Another nod back to Twin Peaks. Yeah. Also, there's brothers a lot of brothers in this episode. Yeah. Um, our, yes, our friend of the podcast, uh, Emily L. Stevens, who recaps for the AV Club, her most recent recap for this episode, very much focuses a lot on all of the brother ties mm. all through the narrative. Mm. Yes. Give and it a read. Badge. Badge. Badge, again. Um, now, shall we have a brief detour here? Because I need to talk to Andy about something very important oh, that I realised. Oh, you definitely do. Yes. This is a very important realisation. Yes, the horrifying, shitty pun that David Lynch has been playing on us in broad daylight the entire time. Dougie Jones. So think back to the pilot episode, Andy. Mm-hmm. Tell me, Sheriff, what kind of fantastic trees have you got oh, growing Lynch. here? Yeah. Douglas mm-hmm. Jones. He's a plant. 
He's oh. a plant. <laughs> is it not the most upsetting pun? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought Keeping Up With The Joneses was a bad pun. To yeah, I mean, that's still, that's, terrible. that's still terrible. I love that one, but... That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Nice one. Yeah. This is almost like just ultra-level pun. Like yeah, that, that, that's a master-grade pun. If mm. it was intentional, and I so hope it was. Thank you, David Lynch. <laughs> I hope you hear this. And are happy that someone worked out your game. <laughs> So I think we also all have to acknowledge the fact that Naomi Watts has now reached Patrick Stewart levels of acting and I'm 100% here for it. She's so on fire this entire time. Like, Janie is just hammering people. She's, like, taking out all of her repressed suburban housewife anger on Mm. every person who who gets in the way of her and sorting out this situation with Dougie. Because she clearly can't go full ballistic on Dougie because she has realised that there is definitely something up with him and she can't can't Mm. offload on him, so she's Mm. just offload on anyone else who just happens to come in her way. I particularly love how the the three detectives, when they start dealing with her, you know, the David Koshner character is just like full down the line, ah, oh, we need you to fill out this paperwork. And his brother just goes, ah, oh, which we can have you fill out any time at your own convenience because he's just immediately realised you don't fuck with this woman. Mm-hmm. Tough dame. Tough yeah. dame. And laugh on the way out that the third brother gives. <laughs> made that scene for me. Iconic moment again. It was beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even Bush knew it was like, yep, mm. you're in charge, Janie. Yeah. yeah. And just like with Janie, like, she really can't take this out on Dougie. And to no. quote one of my favourite theatre characters ever, Belize from Angels in America, it's like throwing darts at Jello. <laughs> we do accept the idea that Coop is going to return in some form, like he's going to click back into being able to function Mm. within this world, there's kind of an element of cruelty in that as well because people who have things like dementia or Alzheimer's or things like that, which are kind of mimicked in Dougie's behaviour, they don't just pop back into themselves. No, he's occupying yeah. the strange state of being an infant and, and a geriatric at the same time, I feel. Mm. But he's also yeah. acquiring information rather than losing it. So mm. that gives me a source, of, a form of hope. Plus yeah. he's being guided the whole time, mm. spiritual guidance, which comes through in a very interesting yeah. way in the next scene. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, it also reminds me, um, a friend of mine actually had a stroke at age 21 and went through like severe, a really intense recovery process mm. because of the acquired brain damage. Um, and yeah, like seeing some of the similarities in the way that Dougie deals with having to cope with all this new Mm. information that's really overwhelming really puts me in mind of, you know, sitting at her bedside and talking to her and, like, reading her some of our favourite stories again because Mm. it she just needed time to really put her identity back together. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, there's a lot of levels going on with Dougie and I think there's... I think that there needs to be some acknowledgement of the fact that his storyline could be extraordinarily painful for a lot of people to actually yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that he, it's it's not just being frustrated that it's it's not the mm. old coop back. It's mm. it's actually dealing with the idea of someone who's no longer entirely here. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's easy to forget Twin Peaks is about mainly about grief. Mm. Mm. And it's really interesting to see the way in which all of the characters around Dougie seem to consistently do a pretty realistic job of failing to mm. work with people who have some sort of like 
brain injury or loss of identity or memory. Like it, they're all doing the same thing. So let's just pretend it's fine. Let's talk to them like they're still the same person. Let's shout if they're not responding. Mm. Like I, I yeah. kind of feel like, yeah, going back to episode six, the police officer who found him out the front of mm. his office building is kind of like the only person who has actually dealt with him as if he was a person yeah. with some kind of cognitive problem and yeah. has been respectful of that. Yeah. Mm. Also, a lot of the time people will keep elderly people around for the financial reasons, like the mm. selfish financial mm. reasons. And this was set up as the, like the very first relationship between him and Janie was, mm. wow, you just came home with $400,000 mm. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Of which 425000 <laughs> remain, <laughs> which she is holding on to so I tight. And I'm very impressed by her. Yeah, mm. she, is, she is so practical and so focused. As mm. I was in the next yeah. scene where she doesn't play damsel in distress when mm. spike, the spike not. suddenly yeah. comes out with a gun. Oh. Hello, Ike. Yeah, yes, I, I love the fact that, you know, even though Good Coop immediately, almost like impulsively muscle memory yeah, pushes his Janie out really of the way, like back. his instincts like yeah. really just like to respond immediately and get her out of the way before mm. he attempted to, you know, neutralise the, the attacker. But then she just jumps straight back into everything and just starts <laughs> strangling like and wailing him on him and wailing yep. and just like it was extraordinary. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's an amazing scene also because it it shows us that, that um, Cooper's superego, well, his key factor, the way that he identifies himself mm. is a, as an agent of the law, which is mm. also ties in with the way that we've talked about, mm. the way that Lynch and Frost see mm. policemen as these moral forces of good. Lawful yeah. good. Lawful yeah. good. Lawful good. <sighs> yep. Very, very cool. Um, yeah. What did you guys make of the arm tree suddenly? The doppelganger of the arm. Oh, the doppelganger of the arm. Or is it the the evo- just the evolution of the arm? The evolution I of the know. arm. Yeah. Just, yeah. just to preemptively get to, spe- get to sections, that's Lynchian. <laughs> Beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah. This was oh such a lynching. And just the terror of it screaming, squeeze his hand off. No. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which makes me think it was the doppelganger of the arm rather mm. than the evolution of the arm. Mm-hmm. God, these are some complicated names for things. Fair, it, They're great. It would be nice if we had actual like signpostings of what we meant to call these things. Doppelganger. Armpleganger? No. Oh, armpleganger. No. Yeah. Either of those work yeah. for me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because I was really confused by this because he does squeeze his hand off, like he gets a gun away a from him. A chunk of flesh off, yeah. But, but in the first scene, we see that his hand comes off quite cleanly. But yeah. then the next time we see it, there's some flesh has been burnt to it, I mm. thought. So I wasn't sure if the gun was become really hot. I don't know really if that's hot. like crappy continuity or something or, or, if they just or cauterized. The, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or was there some way we were seeing the other side of the gun? We weren't, I don't know. Or maybe it was just they thought it would be enough of a quick motion that people wouldn't notice that they didn't have the time to do a makeup effect. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. But it yeah. seems unusual, but yeah. It's very strange. Mm. Yeah, but it also reminded me a lot of the bit of flesh that we saw at the end of part one. Yeah, I was mm. immediately thrown back there. Who's leaving bits of flesh around? Mm. Um, it's very rude. <laughs> and then um, a shot that reminded me of last week's um, weird Spike with the Spike murder scene. We get this kind of really rough, raw video footage, almost like a reality TV show, of Vox Pops of people reporting on the crime scene. Which were scene. hilarious. It just looked like David Lynch's cops. <laughs> Douglas Jones, he moved like a cobra. (laughs) All I saw was a blur. Oh, it was so great. So amazing. And then the little girl saying that he smelled funny, which made me think, have we got a scorched engine turning up here? Mm. I would not be surprised. Or something just doesn't smell right. Mm -hmm. Who was she saying that smelt funny? Was it Ike? Yeah, it was Ike. Very strange. And then we had some really strange lighting moves as well. We had the spotlight of the... Yeah. The, Which the is, honestly, that's that's my That's Lynchian moment for the <laughs> for the episode. The f- rabbits-esque spotlight on the meat as it's being peeled yeah, off the gun. Yeah, little sound effect. Yeah. Mm. And it, also, the, yeah. Um, Cooper's actions here were pretty much identical to One-Eyed Jack's. Mm. Yeah. So kicked to the side without even turning to look. Yeah. Like all this sort of stuff. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. 
Um, and the only thing we haven't discussed yet is the final one of mm. the Double R Diner. Almost like beautiful Technicolor. Yeah, yeah. but that beautiful shot, that really desaturated shot of mm. the forest overhead mm. that yes. really put us in an ominous mood just before mm. we cut to such a pleasant diner. Such a pleasant diner with mm. the perfect haunted diner track over the top. Yeah. I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast, but basically my favourite genre of music is, yeah, haunted diners. Yeah. Oh, well, you've been thrilled with the use of Sleepwalk. Yes. Mm. I think with those slight underlying of there was some kind of futziness going on. I know towards the end Johnny of the credits, yeah, like that. and towards the end of the credits, like Heidi's laugh gets overlaid over the top, and there's some weird fuzziness going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. So this is a really interesting scene. So we get the some, the diner looks very busy, probably busier than we've ever seen it. Mm. Then yeah. Ryder Lynch runs in, David Lynch's son, who's a guitarist in the band Trouble that we saw a couple of parts mm. ago, and runs in and shouts, says, "Hey, has anyone seen Bing?" I, I thought I heard it as Billy. Well, so did I, and then yeah. I went back and I was like. No, it's definitely Bing. Bing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Which is interesting because Riley Lynch is actually credited as Bing. Yeah. Um, And then between the shots, we get a reaction shot from uh, Norma, who's still doing the accounts in the back of the shop at the same place. Mm. This must be what happens when you end up running shit. It's just eternal accounts. It is. Mm. And then when we cut back, we have a totally different diner scene. Now, this is something that I didn't... Yeah. So, yeah. So, we went back and watched this. What are your your opinions? I don't know. I'm kind of... (laughs) It's really fast. It's the same set, but the blocking is so completely different as the credits come on. You know, you've got people who just weren't there a second ago. Yeah. So is it meant to imply that our shot to Norma is, you know, time passes in between? If so, it's really rapid and weird cutting. Or is it that there's something else going on? And I know, Andy, you had some thoughts well, on yeah, this. Well, yeah, I do. I think, and the most likely thing is it's just a continuity error. Or they just decide yeah. to put two things together. But this is really weird. So this is my main takeaway from this part, is that for the first time in the history of David Lynch stuff, we're, we're, our invest, our like attention to detail is coming up with con- what things that seem to be continuity errors. So at the yeah. beginning of the last part, we had a, the scene of at the dinner table in the Jones household. If you, there's, like, there's a shot of Janie wearing a wedding ring. It's not there mm. in the next scene. It's there in the next scene. Mm. Also in that part, we have the bourbon levels of the bottle of like the spike change between a cut to the door and back yeah. again. This, I know... You know, there's 18 hours of, to deal with, so there's probably going to be some errors at some point. But these yeah. seem really strange because there's so much attention to detail and other things. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I did kind of, because I had noticed some of these things, but had kind of been reticent to bring them up before because mm. I didn't want to be the person yeah, going, Lynch isn't sacrosanct, he makes mistakes <laughs> sort yeah, of thing. The, but I have I have taken I mean, solace does. from yeah. our guest last week, Christian yes. McRae, who pointed out that, look, sometimes... Lynch is sloppy and also yeah. television as a medium is also sloppy. It's yeah. very, very quick. It's filmed very, very quickly. Mm. There's second units looking after things and pickups and things mm. like that. Perhaps this is, can all just be yeah, attributed to which that. Which would make perfect sense as an explanation, although I'm always tempted by the thought that there's something else at play. <laughs> yes, so am I. And, yeah. and Adrian Martin it's examined this to a ridiculous yeah. degree when he looked at the cassette tapes of, that Laura gave Dr. Jacoby. He, mm. did, he did a special essay on the fact that there's two tapes, if you listen back to different times. Mm. Her tone is different. The statements, there's like a different dialogue. So whether yeah. that's intentional or not, we'll probably never know. Mm. But it's the same with this again. Like, yeah. are, they two, are they two Twin Peaks? Is it to be jumping time? Who knows? Mm. Possibly it's just a continuity. I, I think there's just no reality. There's just Twin Peaks. But to help us sort this out, <laughs> I've actually got an interview with one of the extras from the diner scene, which oh. I was hoping to be able to pull off today, but it's going to be pushed back till tomorrow. Sorry. So we will find out at some point, mm-hmm. I think. There we go. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Which brings us to beautiful theme music there, to Sections. Mm-hmm. 
I was setting up my TV to watch the finale of a show called Twin Peaks. It's Twin Peaks and it's very in. I panic and change the subject to the Twin Peaks reboot till she gets bored. I mean, she totally gave up on Twin Peaks. It's too David Lynch. Oh, my Twin Peaks experience. Brilliant. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what's going on. Well, we already went Lynchian, uh, mm. except for Andy. What was your most Lynchian? What is moment? your that's Lynchian? Well, sorry, it's a, it's a shame. It's also the arm tree. Yeah, <clears throat> fair. It's very fair. It was yeah. the most bizarre thing that it was. Happened. It was an intense that, moment. That whole scene was just a thing that happened. Yeah, it really yeah. was. <laughs> it was. It was almost straying into little Nicky on either side of Andy's head. Yes, sort of cartoon yeah. appearance where I was like, oh my god, what's going on? This looks so weird. Mm. I don't think this is going to age very well, but it's also. I don't hilarious. think Lynch is worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to be honest, um, so I got to I got very lucky to go see um, the Between Two Worlds exhibit at Queensland's Gallery oh, of Modern yeah, Art right. um, back in when it was in there in 2015. And so much of his work really plays around with that kind of obvious artificiality. Like a lot of his painting, a lot of his sculpture work is really just comfortably, no, this is not trying to be realistic. And I feel like that's an aesthetic that definitely bleeds through into Twin Peaks, um, especially the scene, the purple world scenes, you know, with Nido and with um, not Renette. Um, <laughs> so much of that was, it really just looked like David Lynch had created the sets himself or at the very least done the designs and told people to copy this exactly because it looked like his physical art. Mm, right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. I feel like he's not very interested in aging. I think he's very interested in it having that slightly unreal effect. Right. Mm. That's yeah. also similar to what Christian was saying last mm. last um, episode. Yeah. Was this, uh, the way that he would just churn stuff out, like yeah. those shapes in that order and mm. moving on. How about colours? Did you have any opinions about the way colours were used in this particular mm. part? Diane's nail polish and how nearly every finger was a different colour. Mm. Mm. I, she did feel she looked. She was just like a nightclub. She, like the way that her top was quite unusual. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Diane's color scheme in general was such a nice contrast to every other palette going yeah, on in her. It's very sense. popping, and it's yeah. very. There's a lot of reds, so it's very mm. sharp and very. And really wow. contrasted against the kind of deep purples of Tammy. Um, she really stands out because of it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're constantly drawn to Diane, which mm. I love as a decision, Absolutely. like visually, because I want to look at Laura Dern all the time. <laughs> um, um, sorry, did you have a colour? The washed out colours of the forest um, when we were hovering over it, just that one moment, like it was so small, but that desaturation just made everything more unsettling and it really prepped me to think that something was really wrong with the with you know the has has anyone seen bing moment mm. um that it was so short and just still made me feel really unsettled right but i'm also of the opinion that they took all the green from that shot and put it into Dougie's jacket. <laughs> so I hope we don't see that again. Oh, I hope we don't, but I kind of do. I love that chartreuse nightmare. <laughs> Can I steal that as the name for my goth band? Yes. Thank you. Um, my pick was the monochrome shot in the prison hallway that we already mentioned, and also yeah. the way that that was in the same part, the same episode of a TV show, as that crazy David Lynch does Cops, mm. which was yeah. all this garish neon and kind of ugly washed-out colours as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, for sounds, did you have a... Favourite use of sound or music in this particular part? Ooh, having the Battle of Menti come back in as Andy's standing there 40 minutes after he was supposed to meet whoever that petty criminal was, it really felt like that another moment where we're starting to be drawn more into Twin Peaks. Mm. And um, definitely of the past coming back out yeah. to kind of make itself 
known mm. as in this is related, everything yeah. is related and swirling. Little swirling little back. locks are opening and that whole town is ready to bust wide open. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited to see it. Um, yes. I think, I, yeah, the musical cues have been really good for that. They've been playing so sparingly with Angelo's work up till now and it's made everything so much more impactful because of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have a... I was kind of the same, actually, I must admit. I Yeah, I very, very much note now whenever Badliamenti returns to the scene. And, yes, portentous. Mm, cool. Mm. Um, mine was the hum that we got in the Great Northern because this was Ooh, a beautiful example yeah. of diegetic music that you think is part of the soundtrack and then turns out to be the key focus of the scene, which yeah, we hadn't seen happen for a long time. That diegesis, like, trick was really great. Yeah. Like, they very much wanted you to think that was not what was happening. Yeah, you're so used to all yeah. those sorts of things turning up in other scenes. I mean, especially, yeah, especially because you're watching Ben Horn look at a woman who's clearly interested, and you're like, "Well, we know where this is going. Oh, it's not going there." No, it's oh. beautiful. And first of all, we're getting to see this new location for Ben. We're seeing him in a smaller, smaller place, and then we're getting to see the look, look at the Great Northern so deeply. And there's already got this idea that you know the wood of the Great Northern. There's something here. Mm. There's a headline inside the book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, which is the log lady speaks if you could hear these walls speak and i believe me i have it was like one of the headlines they're actually talking they're actually saying stuff and there's also a nice nod back to josie as well which is yes yeah. it, it has always definitely been a place with presence mm. many presences many presences <laughs> um do you have any throwbacks or have we talked enough about throwbacks already i think we already yeah, mm. same. although i'm just very happy about the annie scene from firewalk with me coming back because that really pays off mm. David Lynch's statement that you need to have a knowledge of Firewalk with me to understand what's going to happen here. Yeah, and the missing yeah. pieces, if possible. Mm. Um, predictions. Ooh. Does anybody want to go out on a limb and embarrass themselves the way I do so frequently? Um, I'll start with mine. Mine. I think the two underage sex workers referred to by Jean-Michel Renault are somehow going to be tied in with Linda. And I think there is this Richard and Linda thing, the two birds with one yeah. stone comment that, that, that from the beginning. Yeah. They might either be twins that were birthed by Audrey or there's potentially one mm. is Diane's child and one is Audrey's child. Mm. I think this is the idea of the two birds with one stone. Is, this is the, the continuation of evil from Doppelcoop. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Although it's interesting because all we know of Linda so far is that she's had struggles with uh, you know federal disability services getting a proper wheelchair and that's yeah, so she was in the war have. she's about 24 yeah. and she's yeah in mm. a wheelchair sounds like a black sheep possible possible black sheep like she's yeah. not horn material so she's gonna get shunted off to the fat trout trailer park mm. i'm just going to predict this because i predict this in my heart every episode and that's that we're going to see audrey horn next week yes good one. because i want it to be true and if i say it enough times i will technically eventually be right <laughs> yeah i must admit yeah we're we're slowly getting towards the halfway point of mm, the season mm. and i yeah if she hasn't shown up by episode nine i'm gonna be pretty salty i'm mm, probably okay. gonna be diane levels of salty yeah okay the podcast uh, twin peaks unwrapped posits that we'll get a reveal of the cooper that we know and love at the very, very end of part nine. And then we'll have the week break. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. I think it's a, that's what I'd like to believe at the moment. And look, it would make great sense as a midpoint. Yeah, I really want to know what's happened to Audrey. And I think she's now been spoken of. And it feels like we speak of a character and the next episode we tend to yeah. see them. So, yeah, good this is true. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Even if they're not mentioned by name, especially so, like the Diane. Fingers crossed, Annie and Audrey next week. Make it yes. happen, David Lynch. Or the, don't, it's up to you, but I'm still going to watch. <laughs> You've got me by the hair. Oh, <laughs> uh, you can't trust him, can you? No, you but you can't. can enjoy the ride. <laughs> <laughs> And um, you can aim the Emmy cannon at Laura Dern. Yes, you can. <laughs> yep. 
Um, yes, I hope you enjoyed this ride. Thank you very much for listening um, to the end of Twin TP Season 3. Um, you can find us under that handle on Twitter and Facebook. Bismuth, if people want to find you. Um, I'm Bismuth Machines on Twitter. Cool. Um, and that's pretty much my main social media presence these days. Mm, same yes. with me. I'm at Andy Ricky. Should you want to talk to me about anything? And you can figure it out. It's a mystery. Put, the, put, put all the clues together. Please. <laughs> <laughs> she makes us work for it. <laughs>